So let's talk about us, shall we? Each year at this time, back to school time, which for some is also back to church time, we take the time to talk about our life together as a church. And, and this year, what we're going to be talking about is, is what matters most in this place, uh, why we exist, for what purpose has God called us together as a church family. Now, when I say, let's talk about us, that might make you a little nervous. It, it might harken back to when your dad kind of awkwardly called a family meeting when you were 13 years old and things got really difficult. Or maybe you were in a relationship where your significant other or your spouse looked at you and, and said quite often, I want to talk about our relationship. And so this conversation about us and how we're doing makes you kind of nervous. Well, let me just assuage any fears. This is not that. In this series, the church series, we are simply taking the time to remind ourselves about what's important here and what binds us together as a family of faith and the opportunity we have in front of us as God continues to, to bless our church and our school, the opportunity that's in front of us to live our lives together as followers of Jesus. You know, we have a really clear mission here at St. Mark. If you've been around for any length of time, you've heard us talk about it a bunch. Uh, the, mission, the mission is simply this. We want to connect Houston families to the life-changing love of Jesus. That's why we're here. We want to connect as many people as possible to the work that Jesus has done and the gifts that he gives because we do believe that it transforms lives and homes. And if it transforms lives and homes, it transforms the world. And some things that are important to us along the way, you see these plastered on the wall here at St. Mark, the things that are important for us along the way in living out that mission are things like making friends. We want our church to be a place where you have lots of friends and where you also meet Jesus, not just once, but continually over the course of your life. You're growing in your understanding of who he is and how much he loves you and what he's done for you and what it means for you on a daily basis. And then also we want to be a church that makes a difference, where we, we take whatever privilege we have as individuals and families and we leverage that for the sake of others, to bless somebody other than ourselves. As a church, that's what we're here for. That, that's, that's why God has called us together. But the question I want to wrestle with is this. What does all of that look like on a daily basis for the individual? You see, those things are the things that we do together as a church. But what does this look like for me as an individual, you as, as, a, as a single solitary follower of Jesus? What is the daily path that you are to walk as part of this community, living out these things and seeking to follow after Jesus? That's what we're answering in this series. What does it look like on a daily basis to walk the path of a disciple in this place. And I want to give you three words. Pastor James mentioned them earlier. Connect, engage, and share. This is the path that we walk as individual followers of Jesus day after day, repeated over and over. Connect with God's people. Engage with God's gifts. And share God's love in big ways, small ways, each and every day. That's the path that I walk. And what we're going to talk about this morning is what it means as an individual follower of Jesus to connect deeply and meaningfully with God's people. You know, you can summarize the Christian faith uh, in a lot of different ways. 
But I think it's safe to say that the Christian faith, in the end, is all about relationships. It's all about relationships. It really is. It's about your relationship with God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ the Son. And it's about your relationship with Him that has been made right and made possible through that work of Jesus. Jesus who lived perfectly in your place, who died sacrificially in your place, who rose triumphantly out of your grave, and who has given you all the victory, all the spoils, has handed all the implications of what he's done to you. And as a result of him giving all of that to you, you and I, we now enjoy a right and good and beautiful relationship with the Father. Whatever junk you think might exist between you and him that gets in the way of you being in his family or being blessed by him, loved by him, all of that has been swept off the table by Jesus Christ. And you have a right relationship with him. It's all about relationships. But but that right relationship that you enjoy... That guilt-free existence between you and God that you enjoy is, is not meant to stop with you, but it is meant, we talk about this all the time, it is meant to flow through you to other people. This love that God gives this way is meant to flow this way through me, through my, through my hands, through my feet, through my words and my thoughts into your life. The blessing that comes to me is meant to flow through me. And so in that sense, it's all about relationships as well. It's about the love that God has for me in Jesus Christ and the love that I then pass along to you in his name. It is all about relationships. And one of the reasons this is important for us to be reminded of is because we live in a moment, we live in a time where where we like to have uh, a kind of deep and profound disconnect between our faith and our relationships. Our faith and our friends, our faith, and our families. We live very bifurcated lives, you could say. There's one whole circle over here, which is me and my relationship with Jesus, or me and my faith, my beliefs, and then over here are all the relationships that I have. And sometimes those things touch, but not often, because I tend to view, as a modern follower of Jesus, I tend to view my faith as an internal thing. It's a heart thing. It's a mind thing. It's a soul thing. It's a me thing. And then there are all these other things over here, relationships, work, even church, family. It all happens over here. But that's not the life that you and I are called to live, and it's certainly not the picture we see in the scriptures of what the Christian life looks like. A better, more more accurate image of what our lives are supposed to look like when it comes to faith and relationships is something, something like this, where you see an overlap between the two where there is a significant overlap between the faith that you carry in your hearts, the beliefs that you have, the values that drive you, the hope that is in you, and these relationships all around you. And that overlap is where church is supposed to exist, all those relationships and all that activity. That overlap is where, if you can, your relationship with your spouse is supposed to exist where if you can share the same faith and pray for each other, believe exactly the same things about the most important things, it's where your relationship with your kids hopefully can be, where you baptize them in the Christian faith and raise them not just as Popovits, but you raise them as Jesus followers. That overlap is supposed to be where you have those friendships where you know that if life has fallen apart, you can reach out to them and say, dude, I need you to pray for me because stuff just got real. And you know that they are going to pray for you right then and right there and lift you up. That's where that overlap is. 
And that's really important because God has made some profound promises about that sacred space where relationships and faith overlap. He has promised to be most profoundly active in those relationships. He promises that it's in and through the people of the church that you're going to feel his presence. That it's in and through the prayers of friends that you're going to be fought for and covered in grace and mercy. That it is in and through the faith shared with a spouse or with a kid where you are going to feel the presence of God wrapping around you and, and intense meaning and purpose in life. God promises to be active in powerful ways in and through that overlap of relationships and faith, of faith and in particular friends. Let's look again at, um, at the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 offers a very particular picture of the Christian faith. I'm not going to read through what we just read through, but instead I want to highlight some things for you as you see it on the screen. Uh, The writer of Hebrews talks about the Christian faith and notice that he only uses first-person plural pronouns. He's talking about the impact of what Jesus has done for you and for you and for me, but he doesn't use any singular pronouns. He uses only plural pronouns. It's always an us thing, an our thing, a one another thing. But then in the second half of that reading, as he shifts away from talking about the implications, the access that we have to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, he then talks about what it means to live out that faith on a daily basis. And notice he only talks about it in communal terms. He only talks about it in terms of us and we together. You see, the scriptures have no concept of of faith being an individual thing, just a heart thing or a mind thing or a me thing. It is always an us thing. I have a kid in my house who, uh, who loves to keep all the items on his dinner plate separate. You have one of those eaters in your house? Maybe you are one of those eaters. Like in our house, if the chicken touches the mashed potatoes, we gotta start over. I'm trying to help him understand that, that those little areas of overlap on the plate is where the magic actually happens. That's where some of the greatest you know, like culinary discoveries are made. Some of you are shaking your head like, no, like you are not living. Look, if your rice and beans doesn't become rice and beans, you're missing out. If, if when you have barbecue, you don't let a little bit of that barbecue sauce touch the mashed potatoes and the macaroni, you are missing out. You are missing out. Some of the best discoveries are found when stuff comes together. And friends, the same is true in the church. (laughs) If you keep your lives separate, I got faith and I got friends. I got my belief in Jesus and I got the people that I live with. You keep these things separate. You, You have two good things, but you are missing out on something better when those things come together. You are missing out on something better when they come together. See, the Christian life is not just me and Jesus. The Christian life is a faith that's lived with Jesus, with others. That's how it's meant to be. Again, the scriptures know no concept of life apart from faith in God with other people. It's the Christian life with Jesus, with others. There's beautiful things that happen when you live out that reality. Now, you might be saying, okay, Matt, I understand what you're trying to say. I need more friends who share my faith. 
Because as you illustrated, God promises to be profoundly active in those relationships where I not only have a friendship with you, but we share this deep bond over the shared faith in Jesus. I get it. But I would love for you, Matt, to illustrate more clearly what exactly I need these friends in the faith for. Well, in response to that, let me offer you this. I can think of at least four reasons why you need more friends in the faith. I'll give you four reasons. You might want to jot these down. I think these are worthwhile. Number one, you need more friends in the faith for when your faith falters. I mean, I, I hate to break it to you, but if you haven't yet hit a season where your faith feels flimsy or dry or even kind of dead, or where you're really wrestling with some doubt, if it hasn't happened yet, it probably will happen at some point. And there are a lot of people who walk through something that's now called deconstruction, where they're, where they're assessing everything they've ever believed and, and taking a harsh look at it and pulling away certain things. And, and a lot of them walk away riddled with a whole lot of doubt, not sure of what they believe anymore. And when you go through that, if you go through that, you need friends who have faith around you to walk with you in that. So that as you have doubts and as your faith falters, they can kind of be a buffer around you to remind you of what it is that you've always believed how much you are loved by Jesus Christ, who can make it safe for you to wander and to wrestle, knowing that they are always going to be there to pray for you, support you, and encourage you and remind you of who you are in Jesus. You need friends in the faith for when your faith falters. You also need friends in the faith for, uh, how should I put this? For when your own stupidity strikes. <laughs> you and I are profoundly broken people. And we are going to make some dumb decisions. We're going to go through some difficult, difficult, stupid seasons. It might be a quarter-life crisis where you blow things up or a mid-life crisis where you mess things up or an end-of-life crisis where you, where you screw everything up. I don't know. But you and I go through seasons where our own stupidity strikes and it threatens the relationships around us, our security, our peace, all those things. And you need friends in the faith who can look at you and love you enough to be like, hey, man, you know, you got to cut this out. You, you know I love you. You know I'm never leaving you. But like, you know that what you're doing is not what we believe, right? You know that we believe that what you're messing with can burn you significantly, man. You got you to cut that out. Uh, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing, but I'll tell you what, man. Like, I'm praying for you to stop it. <laughs> and if you need me here to tell you the truth and hold you accountable, I, that's what I'm here for. When your stupidity strikes, you need friends in the faith who can call you out with love, who will love you enough, respect you enough to tell you that you are stepping outside of the faith that you share, Amen. who can pull you back. You also need more friends in the faith for when tragedy occurs. I wish I could say that everybody in this room was somehow immune from something awful happening, but we, we are not. And what you need when tragedy occurs is people in the faith around you who can support you and uphold you and, and, and be strength for you, who can believe on your behalf, have faith for you, and your faith is falling apart because something terrible has happened to you. Sadly, we saw that just last week in our own faith community as we, as we buried a 16-year-old student in our church. But I watched as, as, as her mom and dad were upheld 
not just by friends and family, but in particular by friends and family who shared their hope in Jesus, who could not only literally be their strength when they couldn't walk, being overwhelmed by this tragedy, but who could be their strength and whisper hope into their hearts and remind them of the truth that binds them and their daughter who has passed away together. And that's the best kind of help in times of hurt that there is. You need more friends in the faith for when tragedy occurs. And I got one more for you. You need more friends in the faith for when God calls. I talked at the beginning about the mission that's on this church, but, but look, the birthright of the baptized is an individual mission. If you are here as a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized into his kingdom, what that means for you is that you're not just a part of this mission, but God has plans for you in particular in this mission. Look, you no longer get to believe that you are in your workplace, in your home, on your street, in this church, on accident. You are where you are on purpose because God has a plan for you. And there are people around you that he has set aside and appointed for you to love and to care for and to show compassion to. If need be, share your faith with them, invite them to church. You are there for a reason. And at some point in your life, several points in your life, you are, if you're listening, you're going to hear God tap you on the shoulder and call you and be like, I put you here for this. I put you here for this. And you, and you need other friends in the faith, lots of friends in the faith, who can say to you, oh, I heard it too. I'll help you have that conversation. You need those friends in the faith so that you don't miss that opportunity, so that you are accountable to that opportunity, and so that you have reinforcements in that opportunity. You need more friends in the faith as part of God's church, as part of your life, for all these reasons and more. Now, I get why we hesitate. You may be hearing all this and saying, Matt, look, I get it. I need more people in my life who share my faith. I need to enjoy that overlap of faith and friends. I need to connect more deeply with God's church. I get it, but I got no time. I understand the reasons why we don't. Look, most all of us are worn out. That's why we don't. And some of us are just wounded. Every one of us is spread too thin. I get it. You got too many commitments already. And you're like, look, I'm not taking any more applications from more people in my life. I have closed that. I'm not taking any more applications. I got any time. And, and some of you are saying, look, I don't need more relationships inside of the faith because I got burned by people inside the faith. I got hurt by the church. I was wounded by religious people. And I said, I don't need any more of those folks in my life. And I, and I hear both of those reasons. But let me just lovingly, as your friend, press on both of those just a bit. If you are saying that you are already too busy to engage more deeply with the people of God and experience the blessings that come with that, then I would just offer to you that perhaps some of your priorities are out of place, perhaps. Look, we live in a time where, where people, and we're guilty of this in my house as well, like we live in a time where, where we will sign our 15-year-old up for every sport in the world or every hobby we can conceive of. And we will rearrange everything in our life around those opportunities, knowing full well that they're going to quit that. They're going to drop that when they're 17, 18 years old. 
And yet we'll say, you know what, I just don't have the space or the time to be a part of a class where I'm going to meet more friends at my church. I don't have the time to, to come to church more than once a quarter where I can not only worship Jesus but get to know the people who sit next to me. I don't have the space to, to go out to lunch after church with another family that's been sitting next to me for 10 years. I don't have the space to do that. You, you will say no to those things in the context of a faith that you are openly hoping and praying that that same child will carry on into adulthood. That, that doesn't make sense to me. Might I just offer that perhaps some priorities are out of step with what you actually want and what you actually desire? And I understand if you have church hurt, and if you are here and you have, you have trauma or hurt from religious people or religious organizations, and you are still here on a Sunday morning, thank you for being here and for trusting us enough to be in this place. But, but I'll just offer this. If, if your wounds that you have from, from the church, from religious people, are so strong that it's keeping you from, from even being open to more relationships within the church, then perhaps that wound has more control over you and influence over you than it should. If it's not even a possibility for you to have more relationships here, for you to connect with God's people, then, then perhaps that wound that you're trying to heal from has undue influence and control over you that you can't even fathom being in this place in a, in a meaningful, substantive, relational way. I, I get that you don't like religious people or church people. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi famously said this. You're not alone. He said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And you know what? There's not a lot that I agree with Gandhi on, but I can see his point there. There's a lot of Christians, present company included, who 99% of the time we don't look a whole lot like Jesus. But here's the thing, that is not an excuse to not like Jesus' church. Because you might not like the church, but Jesus loves the church a whole lot. And it's really hard to say, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with his bride. Because Jesus is probably going to look at you and say, well, we go together. Like, you can't look at me and be like, Matt, I want to be your best friend, but I never want to see Lisa's face. <laughs> I'll be like, well, well like, you, you, you can't have me without her. And I would be foolish to try and have you in my life without her. So, like, that's not going to happen. And yet we have people all over the place who are like, I'll take Jesus, but I don't want the church. Sorry, like, he loves his bride. And so if you're going to say you love him, you got to try and have relationships with the church. That's just how it works. There are still good things and good gifts to be found here. So I encourage you to be open to connecting within God's church and having more of that overlap of faith and friends. So you might be saying, well, all right, well, how? How? I'll make more friends at church. Fine. How? <laughs> Let me give you a couple things, okay? And, and these work for if you, want to, if you want to connect more deeply in relationships in any setting. Let me, let me give you three things, right? Number one, you got to embrace the awkward. There is no getting around the fact that it is awkward to initiate new relationships. you got to say things like, hey, what's your name? Awkward. you got to say, hey, text me so I can have your number. Awkward. 
You got to be like, hey, we should like get our families together and like we can go over to Slow Pokes or over to Fiji's Barbecue after church and like hang out, let our kids run around and ruin things for a little while. How, how about that? <laughs> awkward, right? It's all, it's all awkward. You just got to get over that and embrace it. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, Matt, but if I, if I try to make a friend of the person next to me, like, then they'll know that though I've sat next to them for 13 years, I don't know their name yet. <laughs> I've been calling this dude Buddy since the late 80s. <laughs> I have no clue who he is. So that's why today I'm announcing name amnesty at St. Mark. You are, you, are, you are free to admit that you don't know somebody's name, even if you should know their name, and they are not allowed to hold that against you, okay? That name amnesty, all right? No more buddy, chief, hey guy, none of that here. Ask the name. Embrace the awkward. Just go for it, all right? That's the only way you connect more deeply. Second thing, second thing, you need to acknowledge absence and celebrate presence, if you come to church and there's usually somebody sitting over here or serving over there and you don't see them, but you do know their name and you do have their number, you need to text them when they're gone and say, hey, didn't see you at church today. All good with you? Let's meet up next week. Acknowledge absence. You know when people stop coming to church and they're just done with the place and I follow up with them and I ask them, so, so why didn't you come back? I know you were gone for a while, but why, why haven't you come back? Why won't you come back? What they'll say to me very often is, well, nobody noticed that I was gone in the first place, so why should I come back? Nobody seemed to miss me, and that's on us. So acknowledge absence. If somebody's not here, reach out to them. If somebody hasn't been here for a couple weeks and then you see them back, celebrate it. Celebrate their presence. Man, it is so good to see you. And the third thing you have to do is you need to increase commitment. you got to dial up commitment just like one little notch, just one little notch. Because increased commitment to a place fosters greater intimacy and opportunities for connection among the people who are a part of that place. So I encourage you, like, go to a class and get to know the people around you. Serve and acknowledge the people next to you. Or if you're new or new-ish, Go to the Connect track, eat a breakfast burrito, learn all about our church, and make some friends who are people with people who are new alongside of you. Increase commitment just a little bit and see what happens. You need more friends in the faith. Let, let, me, uh, let me end with this question. Um, do you have roofers? Uh, maybe that was an awkward way to, to introduce that. Uh, let me put it like this. Um, there's a story that it's told multiple times in the Gospels, the, the books of the Bible that tell us the story of Jesus' life, okay? And the story goes like this. Um, Jesus is really popular at this particular point in his ministry, and he's sitting inside someone's home, and it is packed, like packed tighter than any house party you went to in college. It is packed to the brim because Jesus is really popular and he's teaching and people are just in awe and he's healing people and they're mesmerized. You could not get another person in this house. So Jesus is sitting in the middle of this packed house and he's teaching and all of a sudden there's like this noise on the roof and, and dust and dirt start falling down on Jesus's head and he looks up and everybody else looks up and all of a sudden like this hole breaks through in the roof 
And people are stunned. And they look up, and what they see is the face of four people, four friends, peering down through the roof onto Jesus. And they see that Jesus is there in the house, and they go, okay, okay, okay. And they grab this other guy, this other friend, this fifth friend, who is paralyzed and sick. And he's kind of strapped to this big board, and they lower him down through the roof, down into like the lap of Jesus. And everyone's just flabbergasted, like, what? What is happening? Why are these people on the roof? They tore a hole. They lowered their friend in. And then Jesus does this incredible thing. He looks up at the friends who are on the roof with this other friend in his lap. He looks up and he says, your faith, your faith, friends, has forgiven him. And then Jesus goes on to say, your faith has made way for him to be healed. He talks about the faith of the friends on behalf of the other friend having power in the life of that paralyzed and sick individual. And then that man is healed and he gets up and he works his way out of that crowded house walking home. It's an incredible story. Here's what I mean. Do, do, you, have, do you have roofers? Do you, I'm not talking shingles, folks. I'm, do you have people who are not just friends and family, but they are friends and family who share your faith, who, if need be, you both know the same name of Jesus. And if need be, they can lay hold of you and they can take you and carry you to him. They can pray for you. They can lift you up. They can drag you, bust through the ceiling if they have to, and get you to Jesus by telling you a tough truth or by reminding you of a promise that cannot be taken from you, or praying for you in your darkest hour, or holding you up after tragedy has occurred. Do you have those people? Do you have people who know you and love your same Lord who will drag you to Jesus? Do you? And let me answer that question for you. Yes, you do. They are all around you right now. And all you got to do is connect. Amen.